Welcome to the Financial Coaches Podcast, where we talk about how to build your practice from startup to scale up while being the kind of coach your clients crave. Finally, a podcast for financial coaches. Here are your hosts, Maria Casillas and Cody Sizemore. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Financial Coaches Podcast. I am Maria Casillas, joined here, of course, by my co-host, Cody Sizemore. But today we have another amazing guest to share with you guys. You guys, I'm telling you, she is going to bring the value. You are not going to want to miss this. If you want to hit pause, go grab that piece of paper and pen because you're going to want to take notes. Before I jump into there, though, I do have one little announcement to let you know. As you guys know, we love having you join us in our Facebook group. We have made a small change to the name. So we want to make sure that you make note of that. So if you have not yet come here, we want to make sure you come anytime real soon. It is now called the Financial Coaches Community by New Money Habits. So we encourage you to jump in there. It is absolutely free. And there are some amazing people very much like our guests who are in that group. And we'd love to have you join us today. All right. So before we get into any of the actual details, I want to let you know our amazing guest is Christine Stevenson. She is an author. She is an IRS enrolled agent, excuse me, and she's a grandmother, which is way more important than most of those other things, I'm sure. <laughs> we'll let her share some of that with you in a little bit. Um, and then also she's a radio show host. So we're going to have an opportunity to hear her talk about some of that. Of course, she's also a financial coach, which is why we asked her to come to the Financial Coaches Podcast. Christine, welcome to our show today. Thank you, Maria. Very excited okay. to be here. Lots of good tips and strategies to share with the audience. Yes. Now, what I didn't share with them was the name of your book. I want to make sure that I get it all in there, uh, but it is the, I think it's called How to Avoid Trouble with the IRS, 10 Best Tips for the Self-Employed Gig Worker and Indie Contractor. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's that's, okay. that's close enough. That's well, close okay. enough. All right. <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about yourself and what what got you where you are today? Yeah, well, a little bit of a interesting story. Uh, most of my recent things that have got me where I've gotten started at age 50. So mm -hmm. I came to some of these things a little bit later in life. But uh, like a lot of coaches' clients at 40, I was broke and broken. Divorced, uh, had to, you know, struggle through debt issues, driving a series of cruddy cars, fired, living on unemployment check to unemployment check, which, mm. as you know, or may not know, maybe some in your audience know, is not a lot of money. So yeah. I struggled through a lot of that and came out the other side. And so I have that perspective when I help my clients. And, and through that process, I learned quite a lot about money management and myself and money mindset and behaviors with money. And I actually went through Dave Ramsey's coaching program, became a, uh, a Ramsey coach. And I'm still a Ramsey coach today. And in the, it, 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 at the same time, I had all this experience from seven years with the IRS. Mm. I worked in Austin, Texas, in a couple of different uh, departments in the IRS and learned a lot of the inside workings of the IRS and how, how it functions in addition to several years spent in the tax prep industry. So I come out of the coaching thing. I sit and I take an exam to earn my enrolled agent credential from the IRS, which is the highest credential that they award. You pass a series of exam on ethics, business law, and income tax, personal income tax. And you get this credential, and then you take a number of continuing education credits every year. And so I combine these two things, and, and I'm in the coaching world, 
in the different forums in the different communities. And I start seeing this, this repetition of tax questions, new coaches and whatever kind of coaches that they are. They start saying, Hey, you know, do I need to form a LLC or am I sole proprietor? How do I pay the IRS? And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get in trouble. And, and what are self-employment taxes and, and what do I need to do? Mm-hmm. So I'm in there answering these questions. Oh, did I, you know, do this and do this, and do this. And then after a while, I realized, wait a minute, I should write a book about this. I'm answering all these questions over and over and over. So one night in August, I sit up at midnight. I say, hey, I'm writing a book. And about two, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks later, bloop, 80% of the book is written. And then, yeah, that was in uh, August of 21. And in April 22, I published this book. It's on Amazon. Several months later, I make it uh, an audiobook. So it's out on all the audio retailer websites. And now I get to to speak to people, whether they're coaches or not, but just new business owners, Mm self-employed, those that are Schedule C filers, sole proprietors. I get to help them start up their businesses the right way with the right things and avoid trouble with the IRS. So that's what I love to do. And I, I made that into a, a radio show as well. And then I get to join podcasts like yours to help people learn these things, simple things and avoid trouble with the IRS. That's incredible. And I know that just those three little letters can create anxiety for people so quickly, whether they're business owners or not, right? Like, right, you just hear yeah. that, you're like, oh my gosh, what do I do to avoid all that? So I think it's great. I'm sorry that I probably butchered the title of your book because uh, it, it is a little bit longer, but I love that it tells people exactly who it's for and what it does. So I hope yeah. that you'll be able to share some of those amazing tips with us today. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's super valuable. In fact, I have a client who for the last several months has been under the fear of the IRS. <laughs> yes. He got a, he got a letter in the mail and basically it was like something from his 2018 returns or, or mm-hmm. filings. Um, and basically the letter said, Hey, you owe us $45,000. Um, and he was like, uh, no, I, don't I don't think I do so for the last um several months you know he's been kind of going back and forth with them and all that kind of stuff and actually just yesterday he's like dude I just got a letter in the mail and it says that everything is good and I don't owe anything after all awesome great so, you know, yes yay it was like the best <laughs> outcome ever for him mm-hmm. but just the months of just anxiety and not knowing and you know just being under that microscope of the person that you or that the entity that you don't want to be under the microscope of it was scary for him so you know having something like this to where like you know it could be a resource for him uh would be super beneficial and i know that'd be beneficial to all of us as coaches because we all have our own businesses um but then also probably a lot of our clients, you know, depending on who we serve. I know I serve a lot of people who have their own businesses. So, you know, this is something that is extremely valuable. And I'm really excited to learn more about it because we had a tax person kind of um, on our on our podcast recently. And I told them too, I was like, this is just one area that I'm personally not very savvy with, <laughs> you know. So I'm excited to learn too. I just got to well- say. Great. Yeah. I mean, and, and the things that, that I'm going to share here, they're not complicated. They really are very basic 
simple things. And, and I saw this over and over and over at the IRS. So my seven years that I spent there, I spoke with thousands of people across the country calling in on an 800 number because they got a letter from the IRS that essentially says, Hey, we think you owe more tax. And so I'm talking to these people, many of them small business owners, Schedule C filers. That's the area of the IRS I worked in. And if they had just, air quote, just done some simple, basic things, they wouldn't be in the hot water that they're in. They wouldn't have received that IRS letter. Mm-hmm. And and these are the things I'm going to share them. And, and everybody can do this. Again, not complicated. I think when we hear IRS, like you said, Maria, it was like fear. Mm-hmm. And a lot of a lot of the IRS is fearful. They are a very powerful agency. They're the, the most powerful collections agency in the world. Mm-hmm. And and they do. They have the power to to freeze the assets in your bank account. They have the power to put a lien on your house. Now, those are very um serious things that they can do and they come after a long series of other letters that haven't been answered. Mm-hmm. Before they do something like that. But the IRS so that, is full of people, just like you and I, regular people. Yeah. So two things there. One, I think what you just said is super important that the most extreme cases is not going to happen right away. Like they, they're Correct. going to go through certain steps too. Uh, but the other thing was, I hear that you worked there for seven years and it's like you have this nice, calm, soothing voice. I can't imagine that that'd be intimidating <laughs> for anybody. So I'm just really grateful to know that they're not all just a bunch of scary people on the other side. No, of that no, line. they're not. I, <laughs> they're not. And it's funny you say that because on occasion when I was talking to people, they would say, Oh my gosh, you're so nice. Why are you working at the IRS? <laughs> so, and just every once in a while, go hand in hand. <laughs> right. It's, you're right. Right. Every once in a while, I get a little thank you note. Someone take the time to write a thank you note and somehow it would magically work its way through the IRS maze to my desk. That's amazing. So that was, that was that. pretty cool. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. One, one other thing that you said that stood out to me was, um, the communication side of things. Cause you had said like, Hey, those things happen if, if like there's a lot of letters that c- go out and it's yes. not responded to. And I think that's so important to like, just talk about for a second, because one thing that I always tell anyone who's dealing with the IRS in any sort of way, I'm like, make sure you talk to them. Like, don't avoid, you know, the letters or the calls or whatever, like your chances of coming out on the, on the best side of things are way higher as long as you're in communication with them, you know? So I think that that's super, super important. Yes, they, they, they have a, they have a very defined cycle of letters that they, that they send out over time. And most letters, most letters give 30 days for a response. Mm-hmm. And then if you stick your head in the sand or you get unicorn thinking and oh, I'll just put it away and I'll reset it over here on the table and it gets lost in the shuffle, then that's when you run into trouble because you, you, you know, it's, you, you, you go into irrational thinking when it's an IRS letter. You're not, it's fear. It's, I don't have enough money. The IRS is coming to take my house and my business and my kids. You know, you just, you go into fear mode. So you're, you're not thinking clearly. And, and so the letter gets set aside and it goes unanswered. And then the next letter comes and the tone of the letter is more serious. Hey, you got to do something in the next 90 days or you, you know, if you want to go to tax court, this is your opportunity and, and people read tax court. What? Oh my gosh. Uh, and then they still don't do anything. So it just, it mm-hmm. just goes on and on. And then they're in really trouble, big, big trouble. And then, then they need a tax resolution expert. And that's the field that I work in. 
That's those are the people who come to me that owe five hundred thousand dollars, literally. And what do you do when you owe half a million to the IRS or more? I have people that I, I another group I belong to of tax resolution specialists, and they have clients that owe millions to the IRS. Wow. And you have to work to solve these problems. So yeah, yeah. communication yeah. is key. Yeah. So I'm I'm really curious about your book because for several reasons. One, because it's like, hey, how do you stay out of trouble with the IRS? Definitely curious about that. But the mm-hmm. very fact that you were just you just woke up one evening in August and you're like, I'm gonna write a book. And then a month later it was done and published, kind of thing. Like, that's incredible. That's incredible. Well, it wasn't quite a month to finish it. It was I I finished eighty percent of it in about a month. Okay. And then the other it's kind of the eighty twenty rule. Right. It, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I did eighty so I mean percent of it, yes, in a yes. month is is impressive. Yeah. You know? Well, so Well thank you. Yeah. 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 And and there's ten tips in there. Ten yes. things to do. Obviously, we're not going to ask you to show your entire hand here because um, we want people to go get the book, you know, like, please go get her book, you know, like, yes. let's support Christine and, and also let's support you by you learning these things yes. and also supporting your clients as well. So definitely yes. go pick up her book. But I am not going to lie, Christine, I'm pretty curious about a few of them. So would you mind sharing just like maybe your top tips or the ones that you yes. know, you're the most passionate about or whatever that might be. Absolutely. So I'm going to share three of them. Okay. And these are the three things that I consistently recommend over and over and over. And that's a lot of that's based on my time at the IRS and the work I do now as a tax resolution specialist. If my clients had just done these three things, it would be light years ahead of the IRS and their problems. Mm. So The number one thing that you can do for yourself as a small business owner is open a business checking account. Super simple. And you might want to open more than just one. I see that, Cody, you have Profit First behind you. I'm a Profit First person myself. I follow that. I teach that. And, uh, you know, five five accounts is is what Mike Michalowicz often recommends. But if you're just starting out, and maybe you're making 10, 12, 15, $20,000. You don't necessarily need five accounts, but maybe you need three. Open two business accounts and a savings account. Mm-hmm. And to open a business account, so that's number one, you need to get an EIN, an employer identification number from the IRS. So that's the second tip. Get an EIN. It's free, super easy to do. Go to irs.gov forward slash EIN. And it's going to walk you through several questions. You put in some information and assuming you go through the verification process. Okay. Bloop, you get your EIN number just like that. And mm-hmm. now it's yours. It's there. It is. You don't need to have an EIN to be a sole proprietor to uh, you know, file that schedule C. You can use your social, which is okay. But I like to recommend an EIN because it protects your privacy. When you, if, if, let's say you're a graphic designer and someone hires you to you know, do some graphic design, they're going to want your tax ID number. Do you really want to give them your social along with your address? And anybody in that company can maybe see your social and your address. Protect your social. So get the EIN. 
It, it protects your social. It also, quite frankly, makes you look a little bit more legitimate. When you use an EIN, if you're, if you're having to give that out to someone on a W-9 form, they want that. An EIN just makes you look legit. Mm-hmm. So get your EIN. That's, that's second tip. The third tip is to create an account. And Cody, I want to know, and Maria, I want to know if you have this account at EFTPS, the Electronic Federal Tax payment system. Do you guys have that account? Do you know what this is? What I'm talking about? You know, I, I was no? listening to this and I was uh-huh. like, number one, check, got it. Number two, <laughs> check, got it. Number three, I was like, man, I'm good. I got this. I'm flying through this. But then you hit me with that last one, and I'm like, I have no idea what that is. So no. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, no, I do not have that. So, but I'm taking have- notes. <laughs> Excellent. So, so we have to get the IRS some money. Okay. Now that gets into a little bit of estimated tax payments. We'll set that aside for the moment. But the, the, there are several ways to get the IRS money. You can send them a check in the mail. You can go to a couple different IRS websites and go through their, their series of questions and use a, a debit card or direct draft out of your, your bank account, things like that. But the best way, easiest, most secure, fastest, you know, I think I talk about, you know, it's Superman in the book, you know, over a building with a single leap, eftps.gov, Electronic Federal Tax Payment System. This is free. And you can make all sorts of tax payments on this website. But when you're self-employed and you make quarterly payments, at a minimum quarterly payments, you go into this account and it's very simple. You create this with your name and your address and you link a bank account to it. And in an ideal world, you are linking your business savings account that I know you opened along with your business checking account. So now you have a business bank account that's connected to this website, eftps.gov. And when it comes time to send the IRS some money, an estimated tax payment, you go into the EFTPS to, to your account and you set the day you want the money to go and how much. And it's going to automatically draft out of that bank account that you connected it to. So it's, it's that's, I mean, that's pretty easy. If you, mm-hmm. if you think about it, I think it's fairly easy. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a system and a process and systems and processes are huge, huge things when you are just you self-employed person. Yes. The more systems and processes you set up to automate your business, this is an automation that makes your business run so much more smoothly mm-hmm. and it helps you stay in compliance with the IRS and you avoid trouble with the IRS because you're sending them some tax money because hmm. you have a system to do it. Yeah. yeah. If it's, I may but go back for just a second, I have a quick yeah. question about yeah, the yeah. EIN, Christine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I set up my uh, my business, I went ahead and created the entity first and then mm-hmm. did the EIN. So my question is, is that necessary or can you create an EIN without having an entity? So let's first define entity. Okay. So in tax language, an entity would be something like for business purposes, we're talking mm-hmm. about an LLC, correct, or an S corp, a C corp, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. a partnership. Those are entities. To form an entity, you must have an EIN. 
Oh, so maybe I did it in reverse order and just forgot. I think you did it in reverse order, yeah. <laughs> okay. you, so an entity, an entity, an LLC, we'll just do that. The LLC is the LLC and the sole proprietorship. Those are the two most common business entities, all businesses in the United States, mm-hmm. statistically. To form an LLC, you must get the EIN from the IRS, and then you have to go to your state secretary's website. I'm in Texas, so you know, state of, state of Texas, you know, whatever that website is, SOS mm-hmm. is what I think it is. And you, and you give them the EIN and your entity, your business name, and then some other information. Okay. And now you have formed that entity, that LLC. Okay. So because I remembered it in backwards, it, you mm-hmm. can create the EIN and you don't have to create an entity in order Correct. to actually be able to use that. So, okay. Absolutely. Very good. Yep. Thank you. That's, and yes. Yeah, so as a, I have a, I'm a sole proprietor. I have an EIN. Okay. I don't want to give out my social. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like an alias for your. Yeah. yeah. For it's kind of like an alias. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Good question. Great. Were you going to say something, Cody? I was just going to say that um, you know I submit quarterly taxes as well, and mm-hmm. the way that I've been doing it is I've had to go to the bank, get a cashier's check made, mail it, like all that kind of stuff. Um, and with what you just described, it just sounds so much easier. Way so easier. much easier. And I never even knew that that was like an option, you know, like, so yes. that alone is just super, super valuable to me. Um, and I'm sure it's probably valuable to people listening as well. Um, but there's one other thing I wanted to just talk about too, um, and present a question to you. Mm-hmm. Tip number one that you shared, opening a business checking account. <sighs> that is probably something that probably a lot of our listeners haven't done. Um, You know, we have a wide variety of listeners, people Mm -hmm. who are, you know, brand new or aspiring coaches. um, And then we have established coaches and who are trying to grow their business, stuff like that. And, you know, I would say that's probably, there's probably some in every, in every aspect of like their journey of their coaching that probably don't have that set up yet. Um, But I would say, the majority of them is probably in the newer or the aspiring coaches. Mm-hmm. So my question for you would be, when would you recommend that someone actually takes that first step of setting up the business account, uh, you know, the business checking, business saving, whatever it might be? Is that something to where you're like, hey, like before you even receive your first income from from coaching, you should do that. Or is this something to where you're like, you know, see how it goes for a couple months and then do it, you know, just because I know that those people are wondering that, you know, so yes. I that they, they get that help and, and that guidance. No, that, that's a great question. And here's, here's what I would, would recommend. The moment you decide you are throwing open your garage door and you're selling widgets or you want to become a coach of any sort, health coach, life coach, business coach, financial coach, whatever, any kind of self-employment, get the EIN and open the business account. First thing, because it's so easy to let that slide by when you start making income and then you get busy in the business of your business, setting appointments, making calls, following up with leads, having appointments and you know, doing whatever you're doing for your business. And you're just, woo, I'm making money. It's great, you know, and it's going into your personal bank account. Is it the end of the world? No, but technically you're commingling your money. Commingling is business money is getting mixed up with personal money. 
that's a big no-no with the IRS. And they have very specific instructions in their manuals, the internal revenue manuals, to look for commingling of assets, commingling of money. They're trained to do this. They assume you're doing it. Sad but true. And so when you open a business account, all your business income goes in there and all your business expenses come out of there. It's clean. It's very clearly delineated. There's no question about business and personal. Is this business income, business expense, or was this personal? So right from the beginning, that's how I would answer that. Awesome. Yeah. And we've, we've talked a lot about the commingling aspect, you know, like oh, how okay. it's yeah. so important to not do that. And especially as you're first starting out, I feel like it's super easy to do that and to really not even think mm-hmm. about it, you know, but, but you're right. Like, you know, once you get started and things start rolling, especially if you have a successful launch in your business to where like, yes, you have like this influx of people that are just looking for support. And you're just like, I'm picking up clients left and right. Like if that might happen to someone, uh, it's very easy to get just caught up into that. And then all of a sudden you've made, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 and you have done it all in your personal. And then it's like a web that you have Mm -hmm. to just like untangle. Right. Right. And so, yeah, it's all mixed in there. And let's say you decide to hire a CPA or enrolled agent to, or someone else to prepare your tax return. Well, now you have to go in and separate all that out. If you give them your bank statements, here's CPA, here's my bank statements. You know, you're going to get charged by the hour or you should for your CPA <laughs> having to comb through your, your account and figure out what's what. And that's not what they don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll tell you this, the IRS expects business owners and you could be a small business owner and maybe all you make is $5,000, whatever. You've gone into business for yourself, which is wonderful. But the IRS expects a reasonable and prudent, air quote, business person to do these simple things. And the simple thing is keeping your business money separate from your personal money. That's mm-hmm. the expectation. Mm-hmm. That's what they're, that's what, that's what they want. And it's good for you too. So and it's good for your tax return when it comes time to prepare it. It's, it's just so much easier to set up the system at the beginning. And if you haven't been doing that listening audience, that's okay. Going forward from today, go open a business account and to the very best of your ability, shift the income that you've made from your business into that business account. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that you said that because so many people are going, Oh my gosh, now what do I do if I haven't been doing <laughs> yeah. this forever? Um, I'd like to also go back and ask you how long does the IRS have to go back and audit things? So for those, especially those people who are like, Oh my gosh, I've been doing this for five years. And I, you know, if they want to go back and fix things or at least kind of tighten up the buttons a little bit, how far back should they go? To kind of keep so, themselves. And that's a, that's a really good question. Um, so here's how, let's say you're my client, Maria, and you've just come to me and asked me this. How far do I need to go back, Christine? I would say, well, certainly from today forward, forward. you're going to do things differently. Mm-hmm. However, um, if you have filed your business tax returns and the information, I'm, I'm just going to say a Schedule C. That's what I'm going to use for now. If mm-hmm. that information is pretty solid, You feel good about all these returns that you have filed and you had to come up with those numbers somehow, right? On Mm -hmm. your, on your tax return. So you went through and you looked at all your receipts or had an Excel spreadsheet and you've, you've documented it Mm -hmm. to the best of your ability. Keep those 
documents, keep all that stuff. I would say certainly at least three years. Okay. For sure. Okay. And then I also, then my other is, is seven (laughs) years. Keep it for seven years. Okay. Because here's what can happen. If you get selected for an audit and whether it's random, which people talk about, or it's something was actually flagged on your return, technically you're more likely to get audited in the future as well. That's just how it works. But if they see something on your tax return in the current year, it's like, hmm, Maria has claimed $15,000 of your car expenses. That's interesting. And, and they're looking at other information on your tax return. They might have reason to go look at a prior year return. Well, let's see what Maria did in, you know, her previous year's tax return. And they look at that and they see this other large number. I've seen all sorts of stuff on people's tax returns. People will claim gas, a gas expense, like for their cars, mm-hmm. $30,000, $40,000. Hmm. Um, and nothing else. That's it. That's the only expense. It's like, hmm. that's going to, that's going to pop up something. on their radar. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if they, if they can look at something, and have reason to believe there may be something else on a prior year return, they can go back, they can go back and look at that one as well. Okay. So seven years. Seven years. That's my recommendation. Okay. I know for myself, one of the biggest things that would be seen like as a red flag when I was first starting was that my, the amount that I was spending on coaching and just like getting the business up and running was so much higher, especially because if I paid any of the higher end coaches than what I was actually bringing into beginning. And I I remember the CPA being like, oh, that's going to look kind of (laughs) bad. I mean, but it's legitimate. Yeah, I'm not making it legit. up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I have my rich Litvin receipts. So, <laughs> so okay. Very good. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, <laughs> so those yeah. are legitimate. We're good. They're, those are legit. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Very yeah. Good. And, and yeah, co- by the way, coaches, if you don't have a coach, you need to get one little plug there for coaches to get coaches. So yeah, you absolutely do. That's something I believe in. A lot. Um, yeah. And when, when we're on this topic too, I want to look at it in a different lens, not necessarily for us as coaches, but more so for the clients that we serve. Mm-hmm. So what is your take on if, if we are serving a client that is self-employed or they have mm-hmm. their own business and we're serving them to help them with their finances, mm-hmm. could our services technically be a write-off for their business. Okay. Say that again. I think I followed you, but maybe not say that yeah, again. So if, so if our client <laughs> is a self-employed mm-hmm. business yes. owner uh-huh. um, and we're helping them with their finances, uh, whether it be personal or business, could our, our coaching program then be a write-off for them on their own taxes. Oh, I see what you're saying. Um, in in some circumstances, yes. For a business coaching client, if they contract with you, you are their business coach. We'll say that that way. Yes, that is a service you are providing them. That is a professional service you are providing them. For personal coaching, nope, nothing going on there. No tax write-off, no nothing. Got it. It's it's kind of like uh, you know getting uh, getting counseling. If you're in you know if you go see a marriage you know marriage and family therapist, mm-hmm. you're paying for that personally. There's there's no there's no write off there. That's just something yeah. you're doing to become a better person, or you know yeah. your marriage or whatever. So right. So as long as it affects their business, then it is. Yes. If, if it's not affecting their business, then no. 
Yeah, correct. Got it. That's what I figured, but I no, that's a good question. Yeah, you know, I, I wanted to make sure, especially because I'm sure that there's probably some people thinking that too. So yes, you know, yes, uh, I, I have. So I have a client like that. So I have coaching clients, and then I also have some tax clients that have I've done the tax stuff, and now they're they're getting business coaching from me, and so that business coaching is the write-off for them. As an so expense. do you separate those services for them? And and if the answer is yes, do you just separately invoice them as well? I do. I separate okay. them and I make it very, very clear. Okay. This is this business because I have two different businesses. I have mm-hmm. part-time coaching, part-time tax resolution, mm-hmm. and the tax resolution morphs into business coaching. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not do you always, have two separate. Do you have two separate accounts for all of that as well? I do. Yes. Okay. I have, so I have one EIN, that's my mm-hmm. umbrella. Mm-hmm. And then I have two businesses under that EIN. Mm. Do you suggest that that's how people do it? If they're, if they are working with people on business and on personal, or is that just would, because you had two separate entities that you're putting under the EIN? I, I would, would recommend if you, if you're doing something in business for others, Coaching would be a personal thing that you you are engaging with as a coach. Okay. But then, if you're working as a a an, as a coach for a business, you might consider a separate EIN because they're they're going to pay you and they're going to pay you under that EIN. But on on your on your Schedule C, you can have one EIN and a business name and address and what that business does. There's one mm-hmm. under that same EIN, another business name. Also with the same address. I work from home, mm-hmm. two business names, same address mm-hmm. under one EIN. And if you look up the EIN rules on the IRS website, they will tell you, you don't have to have an EIN, you know, Every business. related businesses. Okay. Okay. If it's related. Good. It can be under one. Very good. Well, I hope we're not getting too much into yeah. the other seven. I know we're kind of getting into that the you have. <laughs> no, no, I mean, th- and I don't talk about any of that in my book. So, <laughs> well, good. I'm glad we're addressing yeah. it now, then, because these are the yeah. questions that are coming up. Because that's 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 way you know wait. It's like an onion. You know, you just kind of keep right. moving back. The layers and go deeper and deeper. So another another question I get frequently is, well, is how do I know if I need to pay self employment tax? Mm-hmm. That's a big one. And that has more to do with tax planning and some strategy. But in general, you know, look at last year's tax return. For most of us, that's 2022. If you owe the IRS $1,000 or more and you are self-employed, maybe you also have some wage income, your spouse works at a job or something like that. Did you owe the IRS $1,000 or more? If the answer is yes, you need to be making some estimated tax payments. That's okay. kind of a very basic general way of looking at that and answering that question. And thousand dollars is the sweet spot because over a thousand, you might get a letter from the IRS that says you underpaid your taxes all year long. You owe us you know, $87 and 27 cents. Mm-hmm. It's a penalty because you owe more than a thousand. Hmm. Yeah. Well, good thing I do quarterly taxes. So <laughs> yes, yes, right. Yes. And so, you know, how much do I send in? Ah, well, that's, that's a whole other question. And I keep it very, I do talk about this in my book, a very simple way to look at how much do I need to send in? There's all sorts of different ways to do the math, but a general rule of thumb 
you do nothing else, you have your business income once a month or once a quarter, take 10% of your total, put it over there in that savings account. Yep. 10%. People conceptually get 10%. That's a really easy number. We get this. Is it going to be the right amount? Nope. Telling you right now it's not. So don't quote me on this. (laughs) Okay. Mm -hmm. But would you agree that setting aside something is better than setting aside nothing? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't need all that 10%, well, great. You've got a little savings account going for your business and your business should have a savings account. Mm -hmm. And if it turns out it's not enough, well, Thank God you have something to to give the IRS. Mm-hmm. I think so that I you l- make a really good point because there's people. I even have a client right now. He started a uh, like a tile insulation um, mm-hmm. company, and he just recently quit his job to go full time with this. And he has a lot of anxiety around taxes in the IRS, and he's setting aside thirty percent. And yeah. I'm like. I'm like, that's, to me, that sounds like a lot. And he's like, well, you know, I, I would just feel more comfortable with it. And I'm like, you know, I, I, I told him, I was like, I think 15% is good. Or it's like, you know, you'll be okay kind of thing. Um, so to hear you say 10% makes me feel even better with, with what I was telling him. Um, because to me, like, you know, he's got, he's got a new baby, you know, and he's a, he's a father of four. And, you know, he's trying to, he's trying to provide for his family mm-hmm. while doing this. And his wife's not working because she has four kids that she needs to take care of. And I'm like, you're making things tight on yourself all year round by setting aside 30% to where it doesn't need to be that way. He, he honestly, he, he needs some tax planning. He really does. It sounds him, like, you know, yes. I, I sent him my, my tax guy. I was like, yep. you know, if, I'm saying this, but if you want a second opinion by someone who does taxes, talk to this guy, like he'll, he'll Mm -hmm. help you out. And I have a feeling that he'll tell you the same thing that I am. So that's the next step that we're doing. I'm meeting with him in like two weeks. And that was homework was to reach out to the CPA. Um, But there's a lot of people who, who over save. I think they, they, they do. They oversave. It's better. I will say this better to oversave than undersave. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. And when you're dealing with money, as you know, it's an emotional topic. Mm-hmm. And when you're dealing with the IRS, also an emotional topic. Mm-hmm. And so the combination of the two can be extremely stressful for people. And it is really hard to overcome those feelings of anxiousness and stress and anxiety. And I don't want to owe the IRS. And I, they're, it's fear. It's fear-based. And he may have to kind of suffer along, sounds like maybe he has been, for a little while until he could maybe really see the numbers like on a, on a piece of paper, like with the CPA running some numbers for him to see that, no, you'll be okay. Because a CPA, you know, anyone that's doing some tax planning, they're looking at the whole picture, mm-hmm. all the other income, all the deductions that come from having children on a tax return, the credits that you get. Mm-hmm. the CPA can show him that in totality. So hopefully that will give him some peace of mind. And maybe then he only saves 20%, you know, slowly reduces it yep. and puts that other 10% in his pocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I really like that you're using the numbers as suggestions, but you did mention that they're supposed to put it aside in their savings account. At, at what number do you suggest they actually pay that monthly or quarterly tax to like maybe through the EFTPS, for example? Um, do they put the entire 10% towards that or do they just, do you see what I'm asking there? Oh, I think so. Yes. So you pay quarterly. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the minimum. Right. The IRS wants right. April 15th, June 15th, September 15th, January 15th of the following year. Mm-hmm. So let's say for three months, you have faithfully set aside 10% of your gross income, not your net, mm-hmm. but your gross income. Right. You can choose to send all that to the IRS on mm-hmm. on the day that it's due. I mean, that was the purpose of saving it. Right. But then if you, if you, if you calculate, well, I had this much gross income for three months, I know what my rough expenses are for these three months and subtract those out. Now I have my net and my net, 10% of my net is less than the 10% I saved in the bank Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. savings account. Well, send in that 10% on your net. If you, if you run the numbers and you feel pretty solid about them. Perfect. Does that make sense? Does that answer the question? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I talk about that in my book and I've gone through some little samples in the book of how that mathematically actually works. Wonderful. Okay. So speaking of samples, we do have just a little bit of time left. I'd love if you Mm -hmm. would share with us, Christine, maybe a, like a case scenario that one of your clients has gone through or just a story that would help kind of put all of this together for our listeners. Yes. Yes. I have many stories. So, um, (laughs) one of my very first clients, I like to talk about him because it was a large number when he came to me, a plumber, sole proprietor owed $500,000 to the IRS. So half a million is a fair amount of money. And it's just him. And at the time when I met him, he was 56 and he's now 58. And plumbing is is very hard work. It's physically difficult on the body. And he does retrofitting plumbing, not new plumbing. So he's crawling in spaces and his his body is wearing out. So he's going to have to let go of his plumbing business in the not too distant future. But he owes all this money to the IRS. When I've met him, a revenue officer was involved. Revenue officer out of Waco. I live in Central Texas. I dealt with her. The Department of Justice was involved. He owed the um, the Texas Workforce Commission some some state tax money. He owed some county money for his property, and the DOJ he had, he was in egregious trouble with the IRS. And the DOJ was going to padlock his doors because he hadn't paid taxes. He owed so much in taxes and tax returns. He didn't file the returns. And they were going to padlock his doors on his business. Wow. And his business was a warehouse and he'd carved out space in his warehouse. So he lived there. So they're not just locking the doors on the business. They're locking him out of his house, so to speak. And all of this started from many years back. He was not separating his business from his personal money. That's how it started. Mm-hmm. And then he wasn't filing his tax returns. And he wasn't making estimated tax payments. He didn't have an EFTPS account. And so he he literally wasn't sending the IRS any money. And he wasn't filing tax returns, but he was making two, three hundred thousand dollars a year. And it was he wasn't intentionally not doing this, but he just didn't have the knowledge, which is hard to believe. But people don't always have knowledge, not really. (laughs) So, you know, so I worked with him and we got him an EFTPS account. He's got a bookkeeper he's working with. He hasn't, you know, the, he's sending money in every month. He sends in 5% of his gross 
income. And we worked out a little system. So 5% is where we landed. Mm -hmm. But again, simple things. Didn't Mm -hmm. have separate business accounts. And he owed 500,000. And the result of all of that, when I worked with him, is I put him in a special status called currently not collectible. That's a deal we worked with the IRS. I negotiated the deal to say, hey, the debt's going to stay. You can't pay it. It's there. It won't go away, at least for 10 years. Mm -hmm. But we're not going to padlock your business. We're going to let you go on about life in your business. And you've just got to file your tax returns going forward, make estimated tax payments, do the things you should have been doing, do those now. And so every year or two, we have to recertify the currently not collectible status, meaning he has no extra money to pay the IRS. Hmm. And we have to show that on their Mm -hmm. documents. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, that's one little story. I have a partnership in the Austin area. Again, simple thing. Didn't file his tax returns, the partnership tax return. And when you don't file that, you get a $7,000 penalty. For oh. just not filing the return. Wow. That's, a, that's a big ouch, right? Yeah. For not filing the information. Mm-hmm. So he came to me, he owed $35,000 for not filing successive year returns. And he owned some mm-hmm. rental houses. That was a partnership with some family members. And his mom had got sick. She was the one that was supposed to be filing the information. They had a, they had a CPA, but it's not the CPA's responsibility to get those returns in. Yeah. So- we worked together and I and I used the internal revenue code to this guy's benefit, this partnership's benefit, and I got all those penalties removed off of his account so he didn't have to pay him. But again, it, he didn't file the tax return. Mm-hmm. All so, the information was there. So the work that you do through the IRS, does that, is that a complimentary service? or do- that's, that's my tax resolution service. That's the other... Okay. Part-time work I do. That's what okay. that is. So no, that's not complimentary. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, no. During the seven years that you were working directly with the IRS, when somebody would call in, that is that something that's complimentary? Or? Yes. That okay. I was an employee of the IRS and okay. they were calling in on a toll-free line. And so psh, I'm on the phone helping them to- not- I'm sorry. That's not where you're doing the negotiations that you're just now. No, describing. no, no. That's no. what you're doing right now. Okay. That's what good. I'm doing now. Yeah. 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 Well, that's As a wonderful. result of- yeah, learning learning all these things at the IRS and how it, yes. how it works, what people need to do. So, what a uh, vast amount yeah. of information you have for that. That's amazing. Yeah, levies, wage garnishments, liens on the house, all that's bad news. I can help. You know, I help I help get rid of that stuff. So, and that's that's not in the book. I don't talk about anything about like that in the book. But um, <laughs> well, we're glad you're talking about it here. Then, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there are, there are so many things you can do. I do want to recommend this, and I'm sure you'll okay. put it in the show notes. The IRS. There's not many nice things I can say about the IRS website, but this one is. <laughs> they have a small business tax workshop. Google oh. IRS small business tax workshop. Look at lesson two. It's a series of videos that are two, three, four, five minutes long. It's all about Schedule C. It's for small business owners. And it's actually pretty helpful. Hmm. So the IRS Small Business Tax Workshop. It's all it's all videos. Okay. Awesome. We'll make sure we add that to the show notes for yes. sure. Yeah. So yep. So where can people find you, Christine, if they have additional questions, if mm-hmm. they want to pick up your book, if they want to work with you in some way, like, you know, how can they reach out to you? How can they find you? All that kind of stuff. So lot, lots of different ways. I have a landing page, ChristineStevensonEA.com. It's a landing page. You click on the button that says free strategy session. 
you get a 30 minute strategy session. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll click on that button and you go to my calendar and then you, you know, pick a day and time and, and then, uh, and then we'll have a conversation. So that's one way you can call me or text me at 737-234-0196. That's the number I put out on the radio station. That's the number I have on all of my, uh, signatures and things like that. Call me or text me. My contact information is, it's in my book. It's all in there. <laughs> so those are different, the different ways people can get a hold of me. So, but Christine Stevenson, ea.com, big green strategy button. Press that. Awesome. Come talk to me. I'd love to have, to, I'd love to talk to you and help you out. Yes. Yeah. And I know that people are going to be wanting to talk to you after listening to this because yes. there's, I'm sure, I mean, with taxes, there's so many questions, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. Like we, could, we could talk forever, you know? Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, and I don't know at all. I mean, compared to the general public, you know, I know this much huge, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but, yeah. but, you know, compared to the tax code and the tax law, I know like, you know, like this mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. So I feel sometimes like they do that on purpose. <laughs> yeah, you, you wonder, right? Yeah. Like if, if we're just always confused, then yeah, they're not going to be able to do better. So thank you for helping us yeah. not be as confused as the general public. Yes. Yes. So, so remember, get your EIN, open the business bank account, create an account on EFTPS. One, two, three. Yeah. I'm doing number Easy three today. One, two, three. Right? Right. One, two, three. There you right. go. It really is. Actually, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. So, well, Christine, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, this was extremely valuable. And um, we hope that, you know, you, you, the listener, take upon yourself to, you know, get connected with Christine. Um, you know, Peace. she'll be, she'll be in the Facebook group as well. So I'm sure that, she, you know, you can connect with her that way too. And pick up her book. I mean, come on, you know, like, she put a lot of work into that. And clearly, there's a lot of like, really valuable things she only she only shared three of them mm-hmm. you know and, and yeah there's there, seven others there's out there one in particular, right. i was like i didn't even know that existed so yeah. you know th- the very fact that there's seven more in there that i'm like okay i need to <laughs> pick this up uh you should definitely it's also it's also a, uh, it's an audiobook i recorded it so it's an so if you have oh. audible or any of those subscription services spotify nook scribd whatever it's there I was awesome. just going to ask if it was actually you who recorded it. Yes, because no, I have I a hard time it. listening to the AI recordings, but I could listen to you all day. So no. <laughs> I might just oh, well, thank you. Yeah, that no. <laughs> I did. Yeah, it's Wonderful. funny. It takes takes eight hours to record, you know, a two hour book. I learned yeah. a lot. Yeah. I learned a lot oh. publishing a book and yep. making recordings. I'm sure. All awesome. right. Very good. Very valuable two hours, guys. Go get it. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Awesome. You well, bet. hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, especially those of you who are every weekers, we really, really appreciate you. Um, if you saw, if you thought that today's episode was valuable, drop a like, drop a follow, drop a review, do all that good stuff. I know it's super annoying, but hey, it only takes a few <laughs> seconds and it really does help us out a lot. So thank you so much for checking us out. Drop all that stuff. We'll see you next week. And you guys just keep crushing it out there. All right. Thank you for listening to the Financial Coaches Podcast, brought to you by New Money Habits and Sizemore Financial Coaching. Submit your questions to our hosts by emailing podcast at newmoneyhabits.com. Be sure to subscribe to be notified of future episodes and join our growing group of like-minded coaches on Facebook. And until next time, happy coaching. Music provided by Summer School.